We are in Isaiah 51 today. Is our uh, well? Let's uh, uh, let's. I think I'd like to read the couple of first couple of verses and, and talk about those a little bit. Uh, listen to me, you who pursue righteousness, you who seek the Lord. Look to the rock from which you were hewn, and to the quarry from which you were dug. Look to Abraham, your father, and to Sarah, who bore you. For he was but one when I called him, that I might bless him and multiply him. So, uh, Isaiah is trying to encourage the people of Israel here to look back to their heritage. And they're going back to Abraham here, Abraham and Sarah. This is pretty amazing, you know. If you think about Abraham and Sarah, that's one couple. And then in terms of reproduction... It turns into a mighty multitude, you know, of people. Uh, so, I mean, yeah. So, God did bless Abraham with a giant uh, number of descendants, we might say. Uh, so, that, that's great. Uh, also, spiritually, I think uh, Isaiah is calling on the people of Israel to look back to Abraham and to that heritage they have from Abraham and so forth. So, um, I thought we might look a little bit just at Abraham again and just think about this heritage, you know. And really, the I was going to Genesis 22, but that wasn't the right place. Let's go back to Genesis 12 and just look at how things get going with Abraham and talk about this a little bit. Not only the Jews' heritage... Uh, from Abraham, but I would say our heritage from Abraham too, in that sense. This is the, these are the original promises to Abraham. Uh, Genesis 12, 1, and 1 through 3 it is. Uh, now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So those are the original promises to Abraham. Uh, if we want to, and we don't have to spiritualize it, but if we want to spiritualize it a little bit, uh, I would like to look back to Genesis 11, verses 1 through 4. And we're going to make a difference here between the uh, mindset of Babylon and the promises to Abraham. In Genesis 11, verse 1, Now the whole earth had one language and the same words. And as people migrated from the east, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and settled there. Uh, and they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and burn them thoroughly. And they had brick for stone and bitumen for mortar. Then they said, Come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower with its top in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be dispersed over the face of the whole earth. This is not totally clear here, but if you look at it a little bit, I think if in Genesis 12, 1 through 3, I think there are four promises that are made to Abraham, it seems to me, land, nation, name, and blessing those four if you'll read carefully here in these people of uh, Babylon 
they are basically pursuing the same things. In verse 2, they're in the land of Shinar and they want to settle there. So contrary to God's command to disperse and repopulate the earth, they want to settle in the land of Shinar. In verse 4, they said, let us build for ourselves a city. I think that could stand for nation with its top to the heavens. That would be seeking a blessing, I would think. And let us make a name. So they have land, nation, name, and blessing. The difference is, these people are working like crazy to fulfill all this. And Abraham's not doing anything except believing. <laughs> so you can work like crazy to try to be saved, but... Uh, Really, what you need to do is believe. <laughs> so, you know, so we're getting, a, again, a, an early, early difference here in Genesis between Babylon and the people of God, right? Or between, we might say, work salvation on the one hand and simply salvation by grace through faith on the other. It's given to Abraham. Is everybody on board with this? this does this sound right? That's all right. Okay. Um, also, he part he himself part of that great cloud of witnesses. Yes. You know, uh, surely. The living, not the dead. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Right. So Isaiah is encouraging his people to look back to Abraham. Check, check him and Sarah out. Yeah. So. They inherit this by grace. Abraham believes and it was counted to him for righteousness and there we go. So we have grace on one hand, works on the other and, and there we are. Um, in Galatians chapter 3 verse 16 it's a classic passage. Galatians 3 16 uh, the, the apostle says, now the promises were made to Abraham and to his seed. It does not say, and to seeds, referring to many, but referring to one, and to your seed, who is Christ. So actually, the, the most important offspring, I don't like that translation, the most important seed of Abraham is Christ. And all the promises are fulfilled in him. Uh, Galatians 3.29. Paul says, And if you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed, heirs according to the promise. So, since we belong to Christ, Paul names us also as Abraham's seed. <clears throat> that we enter into that uh, prom those promises, you might say, uh, to Abraham. Well, that's what I think. So talk to me a little bit there. Does this seem okay? Does this, you want to add or however we might want to go with this? Craig, does this seem uh, wonderful to you? Or? <laughs> it seems wonderful to me. <laughs> Thank you for that incisive comment. To all of us. <laughs> I agree, but I had one thing. Go ahead. Go ahead. You know, we talked a few weeks ago about the God of uh, 
created the earth to be inhabited. Heavenly host, all these things. And you've just read uh, the scriptures in uh, chapter 12 of Genesis and also 11. Yeah. And the words specifically in these chapters says earth, not Mars, not Jupiter, not planets. It says earth. Why can't the scholars of the science see this that God created the earth to be inhabited? Well, I think they are beginning to see it, uh, even, even though Elon Musk wants to inhabit Mars. Uh, someone wrote a paper and gave it to Elon Musk showing all the amazing problems that there would be in living on Mars for any length of time. So I think Elon may be backing off that pipe dream a little bit. Uh, we'll see. We'll see. Oh, boy. I don't want to live on Mars, no. Uh, okay, well, so the prophet is encouraging us to look, he's encouraging the Jews to look back to Abraham, uh, you know, their founder and so forth, look at the blessings and so forth that Abraham has, enter into those and so on. So that's where we are. When he, when yes. When he says, I'll, I'll go ahead and contribute. <laughs> yeah, please, go ahead. Uh, when he says, uh, I called him alone, uh, this should say to the Jews, as, as uh, Paul might have said, Abraham was a happy pagan up to that point. He was. As Joshua says, you know, he, he uh, worshipped his idols. He did. And so it was out of paganness that God called his people. It was out of that Babylonian system. In fact, he was in Babylon when he, he was called yeah. over there in Ur. Does the Bible ever say that he worshipped pagan? Yes, it does. It does. It's in Joshua. Yes. I was trying to, I was teaching Bible with some union students 35 years ago. And I mentioned that, you know, that Abraham, he was a pagan. They said, no. Abraham, he wasn't ever I said, oh yeah, it's in the Bible. They said, where? And I started looking and I couldn't find it. So I couldn't, I couldn't carry the day. It's in Joshua. I don't know the exact reference, but it's in Joshua. It's toward the end of Joshua where he's, He's giving them uh, the reminder of, of, to keep the law and this type of stuff that he makes a comment about. Uh, yeah. Abraham there toward the end of Joshua. In fact, well, this is not Abraham, but in fact, I think in Stephen's testimony, I, uh, maybe I'm wrong here, but he's talking about the Jews and that this and that and the other. And I don't remember if it's that passage, but somehow God is saying somewhere, was it really to me that you were sacrificing in the desert? Wasn't it to your star gods and your goat gods and all that? Wasn't that really the gods you were sacrificing to? Joshua 24. Okay. All right. There we go. So, uh, yeah, Ur, Ur is over there in Babylon. I mean, so God calls Abraham out of Babylon to found the people of God. How about it? <laughs> so you can imitate Abraham as God calls you out of Babylon to be the people of God. So we can really say we were all pagans. Well, yeah. Well, yeah. Some of us have acted like pagans after we were saved. <laughs> Could I get a amen? <laughs> yeah. Sometimes. Sometimes. Yeah. All right. Well, let's go on. This is Isaiah 51. Let's go on to verse uh, 3 then. For the Lord comforts Zion. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden. Wow. Her desert, like the garden of the Lord, joy and gladness will be found in her. 
thanksgiving and the voice of song. You know, there's so much in this Old Testament with these prophets and all. There's so much about exile and return, you know? Exile, return, exile, return. Too bad you're going into exile, but guess what? You're going to return. Exile, too bad you're going to be plastered. You're going to return. And when you return, God's going to make Zion like Eden and the desert like the garden of the Lord. I'm not sure. Well, I mean, they were growing stuff. I'm not sure literally about that, but, you know, spiritually, uh, we need to come back to the Lord and experience some blessing and some benefit by our walk with Him, you know, rather than just being out in exile all the time or out in the desert and so, and so forth, spiritually speaking. All right, verse 4. Give attention to me, my people, and give ear to me, my nation, for a law will go out from me, and I will set my justice for a light to the peoples. Uh, law here is Torah, which you know, in Hebrew, it means law or it could mean teaching. So the teaching goes out and, and justice, uh, which is another Hebrew word. So the Torah is teaching and mishpat, which is the word here, is, is justice. But more than justice. The absence of mishpat is injustice, but more so chaos. This is not merely to pass sentence, but to govern according to creation principles. So... Uh, from God goes out the teaching and it also goes out rulership in light of God's character which uh, puts at bay the chaos that we see so often swirling around us. Mm. So as a society is more oriented toward the teaching and toward, uh, what should we say, God's style of rulership, uh, the less chaotic life will seem. And then the reverse is also true. I mean, the more injustice, the more forgetting God's law, the more chaotic <coughs> things seem and actually are. So, so there we go. Chaos on the one hand, order on the other. And probably usually we're somewhere in between. I wouldn't be surprised. Okay, anybody have anything on that? Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay. All right. Let's go to verse 5. My righteousness draws near, my salvation has gone out, and my arms will judge the peoples. The coastlands hope for me, and for my arm they wait. As we've said before, arm and hand a lot of times represents the salvation of God. So God is saving his people here. And guess what? The coastlands are waiting for this also. Well, this is the Gentiles. So, you know, we have salvation not only for the Jews here, but we also have it for the Gentiles. It's being offered way back here in the Old Testament. So this has always been God's mind about this. When you think about it, every every land base is an island. What do you mean? They're surrounded by oceans. Oh, oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, so yeah. Really, the whole North American world is surrounded by oceans. Yeah. So, yeah. so. Well, the coastlands are waiting for God's salvation. It's true. The whole creation is running for the day of the day. Also. 
Yeah. It, it's it's talking about the word of God going out to the edge of the map. So first it talks about the desert, which is the outer area, the area outside Eden, right? And then it's talking about salvation going out as a light. Now it's talking about the coastlands. Well, the coastlands, that's as far as you can go before you get to the ocean. So he's talking about, he's talking about the edge of the map waiting for the arrival of God. Once you get out and start staring at the Atlantic, that's as far as you can go. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I've actually been there. I've been to the furthest eastern point, uh, sorry, western point in Europe. It's in Portugal. It's called Cabo da Rocha, which means the Cape of the Rock. And it's, there's a rock, and it goes out, and that's it, man. That's as far as you can go in Europe. And you're in chaos after that. There's a great sculpture that probably all seen called the end of the trail and it's an Indian totally exhausted bowing down over you know his pony yeah which is on the edge of a precipice uh, yeah, yeah. and it's, that's supposed to be the western coast so the only place the Indian has to go now is off a cliff <laughs> uh, he's the end of the trail <laughs> so speaking about the Indian being pushed off his land but, but when he talked about coastlands it really is nothing. There's nothing there. <laughs> There's no place else to go. So the, you get to the edge. So the coastlands need salvation, like everybody else. All right, very good. Verse 6. Lift up your eyes to the heavens and look at the earth beneath. For the heavens vanish like smoke, and the earth will wear out like a garment. And they who dwell in it will die in like manner. But my salvation will be forever, and my righteousness will never be dismayed. <coughs> well, this is really far into the future prophecy it seems here and John the theologian picks up on this if someone look at Revelation chapter 21 verses 1 through 4 it's basically it seems like almost a quote here a little part of this Revelation 21 Revelation 21 1 through 4 read it please then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth passed away, and there is no longer any sea. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be any death. There will no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things passed away. Very good. Could you read that again about the vanishing away or going away? Is it the heavens or the heavens and the earth there? Ah, uh, verse 1. Yeah, please. The first heaven and the first earth passed away, Yeah. and there's no longer any sea. Okay. So John is sort of picking up on this language almost here in Isaiah. So this is really a future, future prophecy here from the prophet Isaiah uh, going way on out. We haven't even seen it be completed yet. So. And there is no more edge of the map, so to speak. <laughs> no more chaos monsters. All right. All right, let's go to verses 7 and 8. Listen to me, you who know righteousness, the people in whose hearts is my law. Fear not the reproach of man, 
nor be dismayed at their revilings. For the moth will eat them up like a garment, and the worm will eat them like wool. But my righteousness will be forever, and my salvation to all generations. Well, uh, for those of us who have the teaching, the Torah, uh, don't be afraid. I mean, God's righteousness is forever. His salvation is forever. So, what else can we do? Not to be dismayed, right? We belong to Christ. Verse 9. And Connor may help me here on this one too. Uh, awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake, as in the days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces that pierced the dragon? Uh, Rahab, said some of my notes, could be pride, or sometimes Rahab stands for Egypt. Used that way sometime in Scripture, uh, or sometimes as a as a monster of chaos. This, this theme is in here. While the dragon, let's see here, yeah, the dragon uh, is some kind of sea monster. Um, this harkens back to language, uh, as in Job, chapter twenty-six, verses twelve and thirteen. So let's take a look at that. Job twenty-six, twelve and thirteen uses similar language. I have it. By his power he stilled the sea. By his understanding he shattered Rahab. By his wind the heavens were made fair. And his hand pierced the fleeing serpent. Serpent here in Job and uh, dragon here in uh, Isaiah are different words. But anyway, it's this kind of these chaotic monsters out in the deep that, that God is uh, taming here. Um, so God is a God of peace, and He's able to uh, overcome chaos. So we pray for peace and order as His people. You know, chaos in society is, is not good. I mean, I mean, our life is not secure, our property's not secure, everything's dangerous. That ain't no kind of life, man. You know, it's chaotic. So we, we pray for peace, you know, that God would still the chaos. He can do it. So. Everybody on board? <laughs> I'm just talking away here. Sometimes I don't know about that. What do you mean? What do you mean? It's literally the end game. 
In other words, the chaos that we experience in the world is not ever coming yeah. to an end, really. Yeah. Well, if you look at Tower of Babel, because what he does is he comes, he, he, he has sense God creates chaos here by yeah. scattering them. And that scattering is what, in a sense, develops culture. Well, it's, as Greg says, it causes there's man a, to seek him. Yeah, there's a verse in the Old Testament where he says he created darkness. There you go. There you go. Right, but, uh, there you go. Well, there you go. All right, Craig. There, there are, are three judgments in Genesis. You know, the fall, the flood, and the tower. And each one leaves the world a worse place. And by inviting people by language, you're creating the other. And that's what all warfare, warfare is based on. You know, the other. Somebody's not, not like me. Yeah. Isn't that interesting? Wow. You're right. Yeah. You're um, right. On Rahab, to get us back to Rahab real quick, um, the Babylonian creation story is that um, the, the God character makes the world out of the body of the dragon. So he has this great cosmic war with the dragon, cuts her up into pieces, and from the body of the dragon he creates the world. So it's made out of chaos. <laughs> well, yes, but also there's this thing about like the body of the dragon is is nourishment for you know all of creation. What there's this there's this thing I, in scripture I have partaken from time to time. Yes. <laughs> there's this thing in scripture that that the the, the dragon will be food for the elect. Uh, it shows up okay. in kind of weird places throughout scripture. Wow. And so it's like God takes this pagan story and he says, let me tell you what this is really about. Wow. This is really about you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Beautiful. Yeah, when you get into Job, the late chapters, and he's talking about Leviathan. Yes. I mean, the church has always taken Leviathan as a demonic power, and he talks about having it on his hook. God has Leviathan on his hook. So chaos can't spread any further than what God ordains it to spread, right? Well, and, and to Connor's point, you know, he's going to reel them in eventually and yeah. serve them on. It's no coincidence that the symbol for Eucharist Blackened. was a fish. Blackened. A fish. These things don't happen by coincidence. Very good. Well, fish, you know, the ifthus as well, too, you know, so. So Isaiah is using ancient Canaanite mythology, with which his hearers would be familiar, uh, to make some points here. Okay, let's go to verse 10. Uh, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? Verse 11, and the ransom to the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. This is a, a chorus, if you, you know it. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy and sorrow and sighing. Shall flee away. This used to be a chorus that we sang sometimes. Jesus Chorus? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. We sang yeah, it in Bolivia. Yeah, they, they had this in Spanish too. They sang the same tune though. Yeah. yeah. All right. Uh, so remember the Exodus, verse 10, from whence you have come. Verse 11, uh, great. Uh, 
we're going to come to Zion with singing and everlasting joy. Fantastic. Okay. Verse 12. I am he who comforts you. You are Who are you that you are afraid of man who dies of the Son of Man who is made like grass? Uh, man who dies. And the Son of Man who is made like grass. Here, obviously, the Son of Man is being used as human beings who yeah who pass away like the grass so we sons of men fade like the grass that is why we are having faith in the son of man who never fades away so there's two son of man here one is son of man that's us human beings other is the son of man who's christ himself um Although Christ actually died a real death, he defeated death through his resurrection from the dead. And it's that Son of Man in whom we are called upon to believe. Verse 13. And having forgotten the Lord your Maker who stretched out the heavens and laid the foundations of the earth, and you fear continually, all the day because of the wrath of the oppressor when he sets himself to destroy him. And where is the wrath of the oppressor? He who is bowed down shall speedily be released. He shall not die and go down to the pit. Neither shall his bread be lacking. Uh, well, this is just more encouragement. So let's not forget God who can save us both eternally and existentially. By existentially, I mean in our life as we are experiencing it. Uh, well, who knows? I mean, we could die at any time. I mean, you know, this is our appointment. Uh, God saves us eternally from death. And no doubt, you can, <laughs> like David, you may be able to recount. How many times is it David? Seven Eight. Eight times when David should have died, but he didn't die. So, uh, God has been saving your hide for a long time, David. <laughs> he had a purpose for you. Most of those times were before you know. So, he saves us literally and for glory also. Uh, let's go to verse 15. I am the Lord your God who stirs up the sea so that its waves roar. Well, again, okay, Connor, here, here would be a, a case here. He's whipping up chaos, it looks like here. He's uh, stirring up the sea so that its waves roar. The Lord, Lord of hosts is his name. And I put my words in your mouth and covered you in the shadow of my hand, establishing the heavens and laying the foundations of the earth and saying to Zion, you are my people. Uh, well, I'm on 15 and 16. Yeah. Well, again, I mean, it's just more of the same. I mean, God no doubt can save us. This is the Lord's doing. Uh, well, this is the Lord's doing. Both chaos and salvation. This, this all comes from the Lord. I did have another reference here. You're very familiar with it. On this is the Lord's doing. And it is marvelous in our eyes. Psalm 118, verses 19 through 23. Let's take a look at that. Psalms 118. Psalm 118. Yep. 
19. Open to me the gates of righteousness that I may enter through them and give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate of the Lord. The righteous shall enter through it. I thank you that you have answered me and have become my salvation. I'm glad that the Lord has saved me. Key line. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing and it is marvelous in our eyes. So... That stone that Israel, the builders, rejected has become the chief cornerstone of the whole building. And they didn't even know it. But that's, the, that building is the building which, which God is constructing into a holy habitation for His people. With Christ being the chief cornerstone. This all comes from God. Who could... Who could figure this out? I mean, who could come up with a plan like this? There's no other foundation. There's no other foundation. So this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. Look to the rock from which you were here. Yes. Following on the theme, indeed. Verse 17. Uh, wake yourself, wake yourself. Stand up, O Jerusalem, you who have drunk from the hand of the Lord the cup of His wrath who have drunk to the dregs, the bowl, the cup of staggering. There is none to guide her among all the sons she has borne. There is none to take her by the hand among all the sons she has brought up. Uh, so Zion is stumbling here uh, in various ways. She's stumbling with paganism, and which would obviously follow. She's stumbling with a lot of sinful behavior, a lot of injustice, uh, a lot of chaos. Uh, her sons can't help her. Uh, they're just doing what their parents are teaching them to do. Basically be pagans. Only God can help Zion. Uh, again, the reference here is to the upcoming captivity, really. And only God can regather Israel. Only God. I mean, how could that happen? I mean, you know, a nation's been in captivity for 70 years in Babylon. And a lot of them, are, no doubt, as Craig says, a lot of them didn't come back. I mean, they were already settled down and prosperous. But some of them did. Only God can do this. 19, these two things have happened to you. Who will console you? Devastation and destruction, famine and sword. Who will comfort you? Your sons have fainted. They lie at the head of every street like an antelope in a net. They are full of the wrath of the Lord, the rebuke of your God. Therefore hear this, you who are afflicted, who are drunk, but not with wine. Thus says your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I have taken from your hand the cup of staggering. The bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. So, uh, I mean, on and on and on, he's just repeating, only God can solve Zion's problem. I mean, he takes the bowl of staggering away from Zion. Zion's sons can't help her. Uh, there's no great uh, whatever evangelist or preacher out there that's really turning Zion back. Even the prophets, they're not listening to these guys. Look at Jeremiah. You know, they tried to kill him. They threw him down in a cistern. And, I mean, they're not listening. Jeremiah knew they weren't listening. He said, God, you deceived me. Man, you called me to be a prophet and I couldn't say anything but yes. What a deception. It's your fault, God, that I'm in this, this mess here. I'm down here in this pit. Nobody's listening to me. 
No, he couldn't. He couldn't do anything else. Couldn't do anything else. Yes. The this uh, cup of wrath or bowl of wrath. Um, yeah. Is this talking about something in the Jewish ritual? Is it part of the sacrificial system? Or is this just, uh, just uh, using wine as a symbol? Yeah, I don't have any really knowledge of that. I would say, I would guess not. It, it just represents, you know, God's dealing with Israel. Well, there's one point where Paul talks about being poured out like a cup. And like a drink offering. About, he's talking about the Jewish sacrificial drink offering. Um, mm. I didn't know if this. I I really I, it might I might it might I just well, you I don't know. Jesus said if this cup might pass. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, indeed. I mean the the cup the cup of wrath or all these is sometimes used about the uh, <clears throat> what the uh, plan or purpose of God in various Judgment situations. God, yeah. 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 True. You say that you're drinking out of this cup and you're staggering. You know, it's not it's not wine, but it's circumstances, situations. Yeah, yeah. I, don't, I don't think I've ever seen videos of animals get caught in traps. Mm-hmm. And you know, I mean, they're, they're fighting themselves until they can't find anyone, then they die. But And even when a person tries to come and, and help them out, they fight that person. Oh, yeah. They, they, yeah, they, yeah. they, they, they don't know what to do, so they're... Yeah, just, yeah. I mean, here's even if a person wants to save them, yeah, yeah. You, you almost well, have to yeah. knock them in the head to save them. Well, that's a good a good analogy, you know. I mean, the cup yeah. of wrath. I wonder if this relates that the cup is not full yet. Well, he, and, well, he used, yes, he uses that about those Canaanite nations, about, you know, the, the cup of their wrath is not full yet, so I'm not going to destroy them yet. But when it gets full, I will. Yeah, this is Job 21 20. Go his ahead. eyes shall see his destruction and he shall drink of the wrath of the Almighty. Well, yeah, yeah. So it's an image that's being this used. Is so much, this is somewhat of a principle of creativity because you know the, the, the universe was in chaos and God comes in and takes chaos and then he creates something beautiful. Yeah. And it's a sort of a whole principle. So, you know, so people that or sort of more in the creative kind of, you know, which everybody can be creative to a degree, you know, but people that are sort of more in the, in the creative arts, a lot of times that's exa- they're, they're following the same, the same method that God himself uses in a sense. You know, they're, they're taking something that's chaotic and turning it into something that's beautiful. Value, yeah. beautiful. Wow. And, uh, and God's doing that in our own lives. You know, uh, also. Uh, he's the potter. You know, the great creator, he's like a creator, he's, he's got us on the will, he's spinning us, he's forming us, he's fashioning us into something that's beautiful and of value. Good, good looking ceramics when it's, it's all amazing. over. <laughs> I mean, the ceramics of God, I mean, we like to go to that gallery. <laughs> well, all right, this is good. I don't have a total answer here, but I think we're on the right track in some way. Uh, okay. Verse. So, so what, I guess what I'm saying, though, so in a sense, you, you see God, in a sense, you know, I hesitate to say creating the chaos, but he's at least allowing the chaos to exist well, it is. so that he can, I, I think he's creating the chaos. Well, the Bible says so, as Greg said, yeah, I create yeah. darkness, so I he, create light. So he, in a sense, he, he creates chaos in order to create something better, better. out of it. Yeah, and, I, I, uh, he's sovereign, no so doubt. we go through all these things that are chaotic in our own lives. 
You know, and we think, and that's what we're saying, oh, God, you're, you're doing this to me. Why are you doing this to me? You know, and he says, no, no, I'm doing it for you. Because I'm fashioning you into I something think, that is of value. I think you're right, so, brother. So. I think that's right. But Amanda Beasley used to say, he creates disaster. Just, just what we're talking about. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. All right. Okay, let's go to verse 22 then. Thus says the Lord, thus says your Lord, the Lord, the God who pleads the cause of his people. Behold, I've taken from your hand the cup of staggering and the bowl of my wrath you shall drink no more. So now we have salvation and relief. I just... Uh, I just wanted to ask a question here about what you might think uh, in the ver first couple of lines. Thus says the Lord your God, your Lord, the Lord, your God, who pleads the cause of his people. When God is pleading the cause of his people, against whom is he pleading their cause? <laughs> who is the, where is the court? <coughs> Well, we might also Satan. ask who is who is pleading our case. Tell me. <laughs> Satan is, is the accuser of the brother. Well, but he has no judicial uh, standing. Who are you talking about? Our advocate is Christ. It must be. And he, he pleads our case to the one on whom he is sitting with his, of his right hand. This must be correct. But he has taken the, the cup of his wrath and drank it. Wow. Look at that. How crystallizable we have so here. I, I'm in defense so much of my client that I will take his punishment. Look at that. Well, earlier, this cross-reference said there was Ezekiel, Jeremiah, also Psalms, there's all sorts of places where this take the cup of his wrath. Wow. Look at that. Yeah. And he did. Well, I, I, I knew you would get the answer here, and, and I, I agree with Craig. This has got to be Christ. I mean, otherwise, who would God be? Who would God be sitting in judgment with? I mean, where's the court? You know, it's got to be Christ pleading, as the Puritans said, pleading his wounds on our behalf. Well, it's, it's, a, it's a double proof of the incarnation too, because yes. unless he is incarnate yes. and becomes one of us, how can he yeah. bring us? Yes, very good. So it's all here, friends. <laughs> there, there, it's interesting because all throughout these, and then the next chapter, you see the word awake, 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 awake. You know, it's like a double meaning, like verily, verily. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Good. And he's just telling us, wake up, wake up, wake up. You stupid people, you idiots. Wake up and see what I'm doing here. Indeed. <laughs> oh, this is great stuff. Uh, all right, let's go to 23 then. And I will put it into the hand of your tormentors who have said to you, bow down that we may pass over. And you, and you have made your back like the ground and like the street for them to pass over. So, I mean, again, you know, the disaster for Israel, the oppressors are like, they're walking over Israel like a smooth road. But God's going to redeem and reverse that situation. But who is it who is truly afflicting us? Satan. The serpent. What? Indeed. Well, okay. What? Connor. May I offer possibly an alternative 
read in this verse that we oh, talked about. 23? Uh, about pleading the cause of his people. Yes. Um, I think everything that we've said is, is perfectly right, and, and I'm not arguing against that at all. I find it interesting that uh, the word cause isn't in the original Hebrew that's added there to help us out. Oh, really? So, literally it says he's, he's pleading his people. So with he's pleading people. about his people? Oh, okay. Well, that would change it. Yeah, that would change So, it. one possible read of this is that he's pleading to his people. Yeah. Look, live in this. Yeah. I have taken this bowl away Okay, from you. okay. Yeah, awake, that would... Awake, get up. He's pleading to them to get up and live in the salvation that's given. Yeah. Well, we get a positive message, but it would change what we're talking about. But, yeah. Okay. Ne neither interpretation, I think, is wrong theologically. They'll, they'll both work. The question is, is he addressing... Satan, or is he addressing his people? I think he's addressing his people. Oh, yeah, 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 for sure. Oh, yeah. Well, friends, thank you for your attention. I thought this was a really rich chapter, and uh, mm -hmm. we will continue our walk through Isaiah next week, if the Lord is willing.